Let's have a sincere conversation about events across the nation and topics for our own morality. Let's openly discuss in an environment of trust where perception is reality. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, Perception is Reality. It is your host, David. And today, I would say, the word is delighted because my dear friend, Jean Allen, has decided to join me for the podcast. Well, thank you. How are you, Jean? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Okay. And, uh, I expect nothing less from you. You're always doing great. Great <laughs> things happen to great people, and you're one of those people. Oh, thank you. So I always like to tell people, Jean, how we know each other. Um, so Jean and I have been friends for quite a while. We've worked together. Um, yes, I know what you're thinking, listeners, another coworker, but I've warned you. That's who I'm coercing into being guests is coworkers, friends, and family. And Jean was kind enough to volunteer to come on a podcast. And Jean, for all of those wondering, is a highly successful business owner, which she will tell us about in a moment after she announces what the topic is today. Uh, so Jean, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the perception and the misperceptions of communication in the workplace. That's a good topic. Now, Jean, can you tell everybody why this is such an awesome topic for you and what your successful, highly successful business is, please? I own a company called Leadership Logic, and what we do is work with businesses helping them to improve the world of work one person at a time. How we do that is through executive and leadership coaching. We do strategic planning, we do succession planning, and we use some assessments uh, during the, um, the work that we do in order to help us sometimes get a baseline and sometimes to help shine a light on areas that um, are ripe for improvement with some of the leaders that we work with. Excellent. And so communication, actually is a topic that um, I was I was speaking with um, a client today and I have conversations on a very frequent basis with my clients about communication and about how uh, let's let's say there's a manager who is talking to their employee and telling the employee what they want the employee to do and then six weeks later it hasn't been accomplished. And the manager will say to me that they are frustrated with the employee for not accomplishing what was asked of them. So an example of that is today, I was speaking to um, a partner in an engineering firm that I work with here in Rochester, New York. And um, actually I spoke with the partner on Monday and he indicated to me that he had some frustrations with his um, um, general manager of their Buffalo office and the general manager has only been there for about nine months but he actually worked for the company uh, several years ago so he is familiar with the company and he's familiar with their processes and the partner his name is Dan Dan said that he had indicated to this employee that he wanted him to start to take more of an ownership of the finances for the Buffalo location and um, today they had a very long meeting with their finance person to discuss finances and, and go through 
the uh, the system that they used to make sure that the manager was up to speed on you know how to use it how to utilize the tool in any case um, I had a, um, a leadership coaching meeting with that manager after they were all done with their finance meeting and the first thing I said to the manager was so did Dan let you know that he has had some frustrations with how you are or are not um, handling the finances for Buffalo and the manager said to me no I had no idea I've just spent the last six hours with him and I had no idea that he had any level of frustration with me at all so being the type of proactive person that I am I went down the hall and I grabbed Dan the partner and asked him to come into the room and sit down and we had a conversation and I said you know the manager here does not didn't realize he was surprised when I told him that you had some dis dissatisfaction and some frustration with how he has been managing the finances for the Buffalo office and since he has no idea that you've been frustrated I'm going to say that Dan you are the one that owns this so that's the thing that um, that I have found so over and over again, managers will say things to me like, well, you know, I've mentioned it to him several times, or I've told him about it several times, or I've, you know, I've um, I emailed him about it, or I, we talked about it. What the part that's missing is, well, first of all, when they say I mentioned it, I always say, so you hinted around, you danced around the topic, you weren't clear you know in your own head exactly what you want but you're not sharing that with anyone else and what I told Dan today um, to do is to give himself permission to not be quite so polite because I think that is part of what the problem is people who are in leadership roles don't want to be impolite to their fellow workers to their employees to their peers so they will not actually say, listen, um, this is what I need, or this is what I expect, and here is the deadline date. They hope that if they hint around enough, that the person will pick up on the hint and will then do what is being asked of them. I think um, you like to mention that hope is not a strategy. I've heard, I think I've heard <laughs> you say that once or twice. That is true. Um, Gene, why do people, so it doesn't sound like I was, I was going to ask you if it's a matter of not sharing or not saying exactly what they desire. And it sounds like it's, it's, it doesn't surprise me that you've already anticipated that was one of the things I was going to ask. So it sounds like people aren't really saying what they need. And you said it's because they have a desire to be polite. Is that? Is that because they're worried about discourse or ramifications or they just want to be liked? They want to be liked. A lot of people are afraid that if they um, are, I, I guess, firm with their expectations that other people will a, they might think they're being micromanaged. I've heard that many times or B, they will think, that the manager is mean or demanding or whatever negative 
term you want to put on it. And, and the fact of the matter is that when an employee is not given direction, the manager is not doing them any favors at all. They are doing them a disservice. They're setting them up to fail. And how is that possibly being kind or polite or any other positive word? It's not. But there is such a fear out there, such a fear that people have of, of actually being demanding. So basically what you're, what you're saying again is that it's really a misperception on the manager's part that by saying things um, and by things, I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that in a minute, that they might be they might be perceived by the employee as being like you said a micromanager a poor manager just a not nice person in general but that's not really the case and and the result is the exact opposite of what the leader actually wants from the employee and it's the exact opposite of typically from my experience what employees want Yes. Well, so the misperception, there's a, there's a few things here. One of the misperceptions is that the manager is actually believing that how they are communicating is enough to direct the employee to do what they, what they want done. They, they truly, so they are misperceiving that themselves. They think that they are actually communicating. So that's the first thing. I, and I don't know if it's, a, I don't necessarily think it's a conscious thing that they are consciously saying, well, I'm, I'm hoping that I don't have to get any more firm. I think they truly think they are being clear enough. And, and I think that what happens is people, you know, we all do it. If I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> then very often I assume that the other person I'm talking to knows what I'm talking about also. But um, what's missing is they don't, they don't check for clarity to make sure that the other person is clear on what's being asked. They, um, sometimes there is a, a fear. They don't want to push people away or, or make people feel badly. Or, or they certainly don't want people to judge them. And micromanager is probably like the worst thing anyone could, could feel that they would be called by anyone. It's, it's very interesting to me that micromanager means, you know, horrible person. It, it, um, I've heard so much of that term lately that people have such disdain for someone who they consider to be a micromanager. So the way I, um, I coach my clients on this is I say, here's what I'm looking for from you. I don't want you to be a micromanager, but I do want you to be a manager. And so when you give an employee clear direction, when you say to them, okay, I need to have this project done. And also if you treat them like they are adults, then chances are much better that you will have um, the results that you're looking for. So I need to have such and such project done. And you ask the employee, can you give me an idea of when you think that might be done? And if the employee gives you an answer that is reasonable to you, if it um, satisfies your uh, time frame, then you can accept their, their deadline. 
If it doesn't satisfy your time frame, then you can say that it doesn't satisfy your time frame, and you can tell them that you wanted it, um, you know, sooner. Um, it, and it is really okay to pin someone down by saying, "Okay, so I need this project done. Do you think you can, you know, um, you know, I, I don't need it done today, but when do you think you can get it done?" And if the employee says, "Well, I can have it done for you by the end of the week," that's great. The other thing that I feel is important. What is missing um, lots of times is where the manager doesn't then qualify what's the definition of the end of the week. Your definition might be by Saturday at midnight. Mine might be by five o'clock on Friday. So again, we're not, we're not um, making sure that we're on the same page. We're not communicating with clarity. And there is a misperception simply because we each just come to the conversation with our own perceptions and we're not clearing it up to make sure. Um, oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing that I was, I mean, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So it's, what I was gonna ask is, where do you think the disconnect is between um, specificity and micromanaging? Because in my mind, you, you've given some great examples. So you're like, okay, David, I need to get finances in control by the end of the month, by utilizing the system that's in place and adhering to the budget guidelines. Um, and I'd like to check in with you every week on the progress versus, um, and again, I'm just spitballing here. So like David, I, you know, we, we need to get the finances in, in better shape. Exactly. That's exactly right. The only thing I would uh, change what, how you uh, portrayed it the first time is to say, um, instead of, and I will be checking with you, in with you every week, you say, and I would like you to check in with me every week. Well, that's why you're the expert. <laughs> we, I, I'm a big believer in letting the other person own their own responsibilities. Well, I believe uh, you are a big proponent of, the, of that because if you can how do you phrase this? Let me, I'm going to try to get this right. And then you can correct me because you know, <laughs> we're friends here and everybody listening is a friend as well. Is that um, by doing that, it allows the, uh, your coworker or employee, colleague, whatever you want to call them, the, gives them some control and allows them to work on their schedule, which ultimately um, equates to buy-in and that buy-in will ultimately lead to success did I I didn't say that probably the way that you taught me but am I did I remember yeah. that at least close to what the Gmail yes it, and um, and the other thing is you're empowering that person to be the adult and to decide how that work is going to be done so really when you when you are that clear with someone you are empowering them you're not micromanaging them at all what you're saying is here i have something of responsibility that i need you to be in charge of and would you please let me know when you will have it done by and you and i will agree on when that will be done by um, and you will then go do it without any micromanagement from me because you are a grown adult and you're capable of accomplishing this task. I, I would like to state for the record that if you are one of my coaching clients listening to this or a previous client or an employee or previous employee, <laughs> now you know where I get it from. <laughs> Just 
throwing that out there. <laughs> um, You're very and, kind. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm trying to um, take off my managerial hat and act like uh, I've never heard you say these things before because I want to paint. I'm trying to to paint as clear pictures as possible for anybody listening uh, the scenarios um, that I know that you and I have gone over several times uh, in life. One of the things that I find interesting is that you've been hearing a lot about micromanaging lately. And I don't, sometimes my perception is I really don't think people understand what that term really, really means. And if they had, if, if they were a true micromanager or if they had worked for a true textbook micromanager, you'd know it. Well, I've heard uh, or read a definition, and I don't recall which book I read it in. It might have been a Patrick Lencioni book where he said, a micromanager is someone who says, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to do it. Here's when you're going to do it by, and I'm going to stand over your shoulder and watch you do it, and I want you to do it exactly the way I would do it. And then if you don't do it that way, I'm going to do it myself. Exactly. That's a micromanager. That is exactly a micromanager. And the key is, I mean, the, the key points just to simplify it is the person that gives you such keystroke level instructions, and then they're literally watching you do the work. If that person can literally push you out of the chair or roll you away from your desk and start keystroking and typing in where you left off, that would be micromanaging. Yes. And then in the example that, that I almost got 100% correct, but I'm still thinking I was in an A, you know, maybe like A minus, but A, I'm going to give myself an A. Um, may not, maybe not A plus, no extra credit. But uh, in that example, the key thing that we talked about there was setting expectations. Um, and setting expectations is different than setting the be specific guidelines for the task, how to do it, when to do it by, um, and oh, by the way, while you're doing this task, you're only allowed one bite of an apple every five minutes per 100 keystrokes. I don't know. I'm just being silly, of course, but um, do people that you're counseling um, really perceive themselves that if they state more clearly their objectives and the objective for uh, what they desire from their employee or their team, um, do they really perceive themselves as being micromanagers? No, no. They're just terrified of being labeled a micromanager. Why are they afraid? They're a leader for a reason. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's a whole other uh, podcast. <laughs> well, it might be, but I'm trying to, I mean, this is definitely like, I, I just, can I tangent there for a second? Because now you've got me curious. And then we'll come back to communication because I do have some more communication. I, I, everybody's expecting me to go into DISC because I've, I've mentioned DISC. You, you know DISC. Um, oh, yeah. so I want to I talk about that for a minute. Um, and on a few podcasts, I actually uh, guessed people's Myers-Briggs and their discs personality oh, types. Oh, fun. That's so, fun. And I, I'm, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I'm going to, I'm pretty accurate. You're pretty darn good at this, yes. Um, so, like I said, people are leaders for a reason. So why are they afraid? 
because they are people first. You know, we all, we all want to be liked. We all want to be, we all want to get approval from others. And, um, you know, it just goes down to our most basic um, level as, as humans. We want people to approve of what we're doing, like what we're doing, want to be around us. You know, you know not everyone wants to be popular per se, but they, they don't want to be considered an enemy. And so, you know, we've all been employees. Most people don't start out being the top dog in an organization, right, you know, right from birth. So we've all been employees and we know what it feels like to be an employee. And then I think once um, a leader is a manager, they, they remember the, the kind of us and them mentality and they don't want to be considered an us. They want to be considered a them. Well, or they want, my... They'd actually change that. They don't want to be considered a them. They want to be considered an us. Yes, that, that makes more sense. And it goes into one of my, my, one of my favorite uh, J.A. quotes. And that is, um, we were in a meeting. I won't mention the company, but we were in a meeting and we were talking about employee relations. And this is kind of flipping the script a little bit because we've been focusing on the leader, but um, I want, we'll talk about the employee for a second. And we were talking about employee engagement. It was one of your employee engagement surveys. And I think... I don't remember what happened before that. I think somebody was, didn't like an answer that the employees were negative on a question or something or whatever. And I believe the quote, because this is how I quote you was, we're dealing with people, people. Oh yeah. Or let's keep the human in human resources. That one came later. Yes. This, this was people, people. You're right. Yep. This was, this was let's definitely... First. This one was um, the he the discussion got a little heated, and I mean you're always always professional and, and an incredible businesswoman, so I don't want to make people think that the tone you used was like not a nice tone, but you gained the attention of the room in in an assertive yet appropriate way when you were like we're dealing with people people like and yeah. I like you got the attention of the room because you you made. I don't know, there was probably 20 of us in that room because we always overcrowded the boardroom. But um, I remember. I liked, I liked that because you associated everybody in the room like the employees were people and were people. Yep. And it made sense in that moment and, and, it, and it transcends beyond that, which is why I quote you all the time. Saying, well, it kind of, it got people's attention. It kind of stopped them for a moment. Yes, and it did. It, 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 the record scratched and everybody was looking at you and you could yeah. see slowly the realization crossed everybody's eyes. Yeah. So for mine, I may or may not have been smirking, <laughs> but um, that was good. So yes, that that explains a lot. And it's not necessarily like you said, people, people, the air quote people managers that you just talked about. They don't necessarily want to be loved. They just don't want to be the bad guy. They, they just don't, don't want to be hated. Nobody wants right. to go home and be hated. Correct. And you know, work work isn't disney um and if you're listening walt disney i'm sorry whatever copyright infringement it's no longer with us but um it's not a theme park let's just say that and people don't pay to come into work we pay them to come into work but right. we still don't want to be hated work for a reason exactly we, nobody wants to be hated but at the same token i really sincerely don't believe that there's employees that come in every day and want to be hated either 
I really believe that there are at, at their heart. I mean, there may be some people that just come in and are just completely checked out, but I don't. Not the majority though. The majority of people truly want to feel like they have accomplished something at the end of every day. And they've made a difference for the yep. positive. Yep. That's, exactly. A hundred percent. I agree. And so these employees, when they are treated like contributing members of society, when they are treated like they are adults who can think for themselves and they are empowered, they love it. They eat it up. They uh, rise to the occasion and the trust level increases dramatically between them and, and their leaders and they are willing to go to bat. They they step up when necessary. When it hits the fan, they are willing to go the extra mile. Um, it, so it, the reward is tremendous when a manager gets it right. I agree. And I think, let me, uh, this is why this is unscripted, unprepared, unedited. Let me just throw one out there and you can critique me. I was helping a manager uh, that I know the other day and he was concerned that an employee was taking too long to do things, um, wasn't necessarily performing to the best of her abilities. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it and I realized listening to the description that this employee was trying to be a perfectionist. So the my advice, okay. my, my advice was have a conversation with her tell her that the work because the work she was doing was taking a long time, but it was good work. Tell her that the work, you know, acknowledge the great work that she's doing and then look her in the eye and tell her it's okay to fail. It's okay. If you make a mistake, we're not going to, the, the world is not, I, I used different words, but I'm just making painting a picture now right now, but the world is not going to suddenly open up. No sinkhole is going to come in if you make one tiny mistake and if you're not trying, you know, if you make a mistake, then it's a learning experience. It's not the end of the world. Um, so that conversation was had and a month later, the workload has increased and it's much quicker. Wow. That's fantastic. So does that fit into your empowering? Because I, I, I didn't feel like maybe I'm not using the right word with empowering, but I didn't feel like, she felt a certain sense of freedom. Like there was, I felt listening to the conversation being described that there was some sort of fear there on her part. And I felt like if, if he offered her some reprieve and just saying like, it, it's, it's okay if you make a mistake, it's not gonna be the end of the world. And that worked. Is that what you're talking about with like, people wanna be empowered. They want a little bit more responsibility um, you know, I mean, she's not doing a job where if she makes a mistake on an engineering diagram, that's one tenth of a nanometer off that a train is going to derail someplace in the world. That's not like that. I mean, those people obviously need to take their time and do good work, but, um, well, it sounds to me like she was not only given permission, but also encouraged. She was make a mistake. You know, um, you know, I have a, my set of pom-poms. I, I like to encourage, I like to encourage people to encourage other people because I don't, I think it's often 
again, this is another JA uh, thing here. Um, and if, if everybody forgot, JA is Gene Allen, the <laughs> person on, that is on the podcast with me. Um, thing is that it's often easy to provide feedback in a negative moment because it's obvious. And yeah. if you constantly provide feedback in negative moments, then that feedback cycle becomes negative. And it's a little bit less to properly, like I, I really feel like there's a proper way to give uh, positive feedback and you can explain that because I'm not gonna be able to explain it the way you do. But there is a positive way to give feedback that doesn't sound like you're gushing, but helps a positive feedback cycle that gets, you know, I don't want to say results because we're not, I'm not talking about a horse race, but just helps gives a, a positive attitude. Like we said, people, people are people. They want to know, yes, I'm doing a good job. And if I remember correctly from my Gene Allen school of thought is that if you're waiting for performance review to tell somebody feedback, either positive or negative, you've waited too long. Ah. And if I am quoting my friend Gene Allen properly, if an employee comes into a performance review and anything on that performance review is a shock to them, whether it be positive or negative, you're not doing your job as a leader manager in that situation. Correct. That's 100% correct. Also, um, right, no employee should ever be surprised when they're fired unless it's a layoff. No employee should ever be surprised by what they hear in their performance review, ever. Um, yeah. And managers do, I mean, so um, I actually did have another conversation recently with another manager who said, well, I'll give him that feedback during his performance review. And I said, well, so when are you gonna do that? I mean, is it today? <laughs> is it in July? Is it in January next year? I mean, if that's not today, then, then I'm not, going to be okay with you waiting to give the employee the feedback during the performance review. They need to hear this now. This isn't, isn't, this isn't a measure of how you've done over the past year. It's a measure of what you just did last week that I don't, you know, like how the outcome was. And Jean, can you tell us what the, because um, the perception is, I can wait. It's a performance review. That's what everybody expects. But the reality is, if you don't give that feedback isn't the reality that it ends up becoming a snowball effect? Oh my gosh, yes. All right, I have a great story, and I use this in my coaching. This actually happened. So um, when I was in the corporate world, before I started my business, I had an employee that was working for me. She was very young, very new in her career. And the rule in that company was that on Fridays, employees could wear jeans and sneakers. No other day of the week, just Fridays. Well, I don't necessarily look at all of my employees' feet every day. So I had a, a manager come to me and, and complain, essentially, and say, must be nice. The people in human resources don't have to um, follow the same rules as the rest of us. So he was, you know, complaining. Anyway, I found out what he was talking about. I realized that this employee was wearing sneakers, and it was not a Friday. So. The example, how I, what I, what I, when I'm teaching this to managers, I say, so what I could have done is I could have said, all right, thanks for telling me. And then I could have, 
um, hinted around um, this employee and said to another employee who worked for me, gosh, I really like your dress shoes. Those are very nice. And, you know, I could have continued to, to dance around the topic of it. Um, and let's say that I continue to do that for several weeks and my, the employee who wore sneakers is wondering what the heck is wrong with Jean. Um, so then she starts to feel like, oh, well, there must be something going on. So then she starts to feel a little bit of a resentment. Well, then I start to feel a little bit of resentment as well. And pretty soon there's this wedge that has come between us and it's all because, oh, you know, so who knows? It could have escalated and she might say to herself, you know what? I'm going to go work for a boss that's nicer and she might look for a job or I might fire her. And instead what I did was I brought her into my office and I said, Hey, listen, we are the human resources department and our job is to model the behavior for the rest of the company. We have to be the example. We have to set the example. So I really need you to only wear sneakers on Fridays. Okay. And she said, okay. I said, okay, great. Thanks. And, and that was it. And then we went back to work and then, you know, then I went back to normal. So as you know, as soon as she went back to her desk, I, I went and talked to her about something that was more work related. My point is things can escalate and they're, they start out so tiny, like you just said, uh, but if you don't have this, an actual conversation or give someone feedback when they need to hear it, it, it just snowballs. Like you said, it just, and some of it's ridiculous that it, how much it can snowball. Isn't it amazing what we can create, the stories that we create in our own minds? And I, I've seen that snowball effect uh, happen a number of times. I've seen you deal with it a number of times on your own team, but more importantly, I've seen you uh, from the sidelines deal with it as part of the organization. And uh, I mean, you, you've always handled it well, but it just, the these things could all have been avoided. And if only there was a word for that, oh wait, it's called communication. And oh wait, we're talking about that um, right now with an expert. Yeah. Um, so that is the thing. We all do tell ourselves stories. And so, you know, my guess is that uh, all of us have had a bad experience in work at some point or another in our, in our careers. And so these managers, again, who are afraid of being labeled the, the big bad wolf, AKA uh, micromanager, um, they must have had an experience at some point where they have equated someone who is considered a micromanager is considered the enemy. Uh, if only people could ask themselves, self, has this ever happened to me? Would I want that to happen to somebody else? What can I do better? Oh, wait, I can talk to said person like a human being. And I think that's important. And I would like you to, um, I do want to talk about this uh, so people can, can, um, know a little bit about it. I talked about it with Julie and the relationship, the personal relationships one, and it did uh, bleed over into other areas where these things can be helpful. Um, so is what I want to know is where, where do you want to start? Do you want to talk about DISC and how you can talk to somebody and treat them like a human being? Or do you want to talk about first about how to have, you can have a message and say something that isn't uh, necessarily uh, bad. And I'm stuttering for words here because 
if anybody in this world can tell somebody their baby's ugly and get away with it in a positive way, it's you. And, and as a result of that, one of my favorite interview questions, depending on uh, what position that I'm interviewing a candidate for is how do you tell somebody their baby's ugly? Yeah. And that's a question that usually stumps people. Um, but I mean, they ultimately answer, but so which, which portion do you think, which one I'll let you take over from here about how you feel like one leads into the other. Um, okay. So let's talk about disc for a minute. Please. Um, do you want me to explain what disc is? Well, I mean, if one of us on this phone was the certified expert, I believe that would probably be the right person to do that. Oh. Right. So DISC is um, what I would consider, I call it a communication tool. Uh, it is based on research that was done back in the 1920s by Dr. William Marston. He was um, looking at his contemporaries who were studying abnormal psychology, and he wanted to study what I would call, quote, normal psychology or normal behavior rather. Um, so he was studying, they were studying abnormal behavior, he was studying normal behavior and out of that research came the theory behind what is now known as DISC. He did not create DISC but his theories are the foundation for this tool that we now use. So DISC is um, a communication tool, it's D-I-S-C and those letters stand for each of the four behavioral styles um, in, this, in this system. So D is dominance, it, and as I like to say, it's not dominant, it is dominance. And so those folks are very um, blunt, they are uh, somewhat aggressive, they uh, step on toes, they don't mean to though, they don't mean things to be taken personally, but certainly people take things personally when they say them. Um, they are action oriented. They are more about, um, they, they like to push the envelope and question the status quo. Can't we do it bigger, faster, better than we've been doing it? So they like change and they, and they like a faster pace. That's the dominance. They, they are more focused on logic though, rather than on people. The I is influence and those folks are are charismatic, they are enthusiastic, they are cheerleaders, they are very warm um, and approachable. They like to get work done through people. They are also more action-oriented, like the D style. They are faster paced, like the D style. They like change, like the D style does. Ds like change because it's pushing the envelope. Is like change because it's an, it's an exciting experience, potentially. So that's the I style. Um, the S style is steadiness. Those are your steady eddies. Those are people who um, are also very approachable, very much about people. They're focused on people. They would prefer to do things uh, and be a part of a team if possible. That's how they're most. Um, that's how they feel most valuable is being a member of a team. They uh, they move at a much slower pace. They um, they don't like change. They take a lot more time to process and they need to kind of think things through. Um, they also hold a grudge and they have a hard time saying no. So those are the people who have someone in their office all of the time. However, they're thinking in their heads, I wish this person would leave because I have work to do, but they don't want to offend that person so they never say anything. Then there's the C style, that's conscientiousness. Those folks, 
dot every I, they cross every T, they are very detailed, they ask a lot of questions. They, uh, they also do not like change. However, if you can give them the proof or the, or the data and convince them that change is a good thing, then they will be okay with it. They, um, they are much more uh, logic focused uh, like the D style, uh, but they are slower paced like the S style. So it, it's typically it's in a circle, the, the tool that I use, it's in a circle. So the, the D is in the upper left hand quadrant, the I is to the right, the S is in the bottom right hand quadrant, and the uh, C style is to the, in the bottom left hand quadrant. So when I'm teaching this to people, um, I have a, a sheet that I show them, it usually comes out of the, the disc report after they've done an assessment. And um, I call it the cheat sheet. What it has listed on there um, is it's some descriptors. It has priorities. It has um, things that you will notice. Um, and one of the things that I focus a lot on is the fears. So I think it's really important to look at what each of the styles um, is afraid of, because I think then if you can keep that in mind, it will help you to adapt your communication style with someone if they are a different style from your own. So if you think about it in terms of the circle there um, and think about the D and the S being opposite each other and the C and the I being opposite each other, those are the folks that have the hardest time communicating. And one other um, uh, group of people that have a hard time communicating are two Ds and that's because there are uh, both of them like to be in charge. And so they want to um, kind of compete to be um, the loudest voice in the room. So, um, so when I am working with someone, let's say, and I'm trying to help them figure out how to adapt, well, one of the, uh, some of the things that a D style is afraid of, they are afraid of vulnerability. They are afraid of being taken advantage of. Um, so I, I try to I use that as an example and I say, so if you're talking to someone who's a D style, they think of vulnerability as weakness. Or someone who's an S or an I who are more people focused, they might think of vulnerability as being what you know we all refer to as a servant leader or someone who's much more um, inclusive and focused on the team and the well-being of others. But someone who's a D style thinks, no, 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 vulnerability means someone's going to find my soft underbelly and stab me with a knife right there. So um, it's really important to, to think about each of these different styles and you use the platinum rule, not the golden rule. The golden rule is, you know, treat others as um, you want to be treated. The platinum rule is treat others as they want to be treated. And I think if I may interrupt you for a second, I think that that is the key to the success of this program is that it's a tool to adjust your style to the other person. And I like how that puts the other person as the, the bigger priority, I guess, is, is how I want to phrase it. Um, but when you're treating other people as you want to be treated, you don't take them into account at all. You're only thinking about yourself. Correct. Yep. And, and if I could, I mean, I, I, um, I just want to say like, you know, I can see two D's, two D's in a room together can be good or bad because it might be like, Hey, Hey, bullet point list, bullet point list done. And then they're <laughs> gone. 
Um, or it could be like, you know, my list is more important than yours. So I, so I get it. I just want to say, but you know, you can get two eyes in a room and they may not talk about work at all. Two S's in a room, they may not talk to each other. True. And, and two C's will definitely not talk to each other, but they will roll their eyes about the rest of the room and how, how much they're all talking. Well, two C's will IM each other. Spreadsheet. Yes. So yeah, there's, there's, I just, one I just had to say that as to, to represent, but can you give people an example of famous people that are these personality types and spoiler alert, Jean is the famous person that is a high eye, but she may offer somebody else. Just wanted Actually, well, so people can be a combination as well. And um, I actually, now that I own my own business, I used to be an ID. Now I'm a DI get out of town. I have fallen over the line and I am indeed Welcome to the dark side. Thank you. I've always been on the dark side. Um, so you have caught me um, off guard. So I've got to try to think. Well, so D styles. Well, let's think about who's in the White House right now. He's a D style. Yep. Uh, and you yep. have another White House example for an S, do you not? Um, you can. I have no Isn't idea. Isn't that Jimmy Carter? Wasn't he an S? Oh, yeah, probably. Um, I thought you meant now. I was like, who are you talking about? Oh, no, no. President Trump is definitely a high D. Uh, yeah. I think President I Carter. One of his staff members. I was thinking, who does oh, he no. have working for him who's an S? Oh, my goodness. No. No, pre I believe President Carter is the S. Yeah. Um, so an I style, uh, someone tick you could think of would be like Jim Carrey. He's an I for sure. Um, I would think that someone, um, who is an S, well, you said Jimmy Carter. I think Oprah is probably an S or a combination of an S and an I. Um, yeah, I you see. get a car, you get a car. Um, <laughs> I want a car, Oprah, if you ever listen to this podcast, I'll take anything. <laughs> Um, and the C style, you know, those are people who are very analytical. So probably, you know, someone like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates, they're most likely a C style. Yeah, I think, uh, and just to let you all know how good Gene is at actually reading a room, <clears throat> not to, um, you know, age her audiences at all, but uh, when she's speaking to a certain age group, she will mention Mr. Spock from Star Trek as the high C. <laughs> Uh, well, but yeah. if you're younger than that and you don't know who Mr. Spock is, look it up. You might learn something. It's a good sci-fi show. You never or know. it's the people on um, uh, the Big Bang Theory. Those are all <laughs> C, those guys. Yep. Yeah. That is so true. So, uh, so here's the way I like to tell people to remember the different disc styles. Let's say there's a meeting and uh, someone who's a D style walks into the room with the, they are on time. They have the meeting agenda printed out um, because they do not want anyone to go off of the agenda because they do not want their time to be wasted. Someone who's a C style comes into the meeting with the agenda printed off, but also any of the attachments that were sent out, they have some things highlighted and some questions written in the margins. Someone who's an S style comes into the room and they're holding a cup of coffee for themselves and one for someone else. They realize there are not enough chairs in the room, so they go out and and they get more chairs for the other people that are coming to the meeting. And the I style is still in the lunchroom chatting with people. <laughs> so that's a really stereotypical way of remembering the different um, so styles. 
that is, um, and if I if I may just be so bold, a, a high D may not even have a list printed. It's in their head. Well, there's that too. Yes. I mean, you know, I've I've known a few of those may or may not be looking in the mirror at one sometimes. And the D um, style will most likely sit at the head of the table. But it is possible, and I, I do want to say this, and, and we're talking in extremes right now to paint pictures so anybody who's listening can understand and utilize these tools. Um, and if you have any questions, you can contact Jean for further training or consultative services at leadershiplogicny.com. There you go. Um, and it's just because it's, she's in Rochester, New York, does not mean that that's where. No, we work we're anywhere. Exactly. Oh, yeah. They they invented this thing called the plane and automobiles. She can come to you. Um, also telephones and Skype. Exactly. And so just don't be afraid. Um, but I think it's important to know that since uh, since I've been involved with DISC, I got involved with DISC uh, before I started working with you. However, working with you um, all those years which I'm highly appreciative of. You and I really got into DISC pretty deep. Uh, yes. Together. And that was where I think my biggest growth was because I can take the tests and I can center myself perfectly. And I'm not saying I'm a perfect human being, but I'm, I'm fairly good at now with practice at reading the person I'm talking to. And more importantly, if you even hone this skill more when you're a speaker, um, again, if you need Jean to come speak at a public speaking event, she's available. Oh, sure. She can read the audience. And I think it's important. Uh, I mean, one of the articles I posted today on LinkedIn was about if you're not speaking the language of your audience, you may not be speaking at all. You may as well not be speaking at all. And I think that's important. And that's what we're trying to say is because the misperception is that you, like you said, it's the golden rule, but that's it's the platinum rule that gets better results, whether you're speaking to an individual, a team, or if you're on a stage full of a thousand people. Because another thing that Gene likes to say is that the team or business takes on the personality of the leader. Oh, yes. So that all trickles down. However you behave will be perceived as the right way to behave and people will mimic that because they want to, um, I'm going to say go along to get along, but I think that's the wrong way to phrase it. Gene, can you help me out here? Well, actually my partner says um, thoughts and behaviors and attitudes are contagious. And so when the leader speaks first, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, you know, it kind of rubs off on everybody else. Exactly. Thank you for the life uh, preserver, um, as always. So I, I just want to, to hover over this point one more time, and is that it's people, people can never guess my personality type. And I feel very <laughs> fortunate that because whenever, whoever I'm in front, they will always guess their personality type. Um, Which means you are a fantastic adapter. You're much better at it than I am. I, I, my D gets in the way all day long. I, I will, Gene, you know firsthand that when I take this test, I sincerely chart out D, only D, 10 out of 10 every time. Like that is my default 
behavior. And uh, one of the things that you will learn when you sign up or get Gene to come out to your company, and Gene, don't worry, everybody knows that when I have a friend on that I really, really like and respect, I shamelessly promote for them. <laughs> well, thank and they you. already know no. that there's, there's no kickback because this is a David funded podcast and it's my show. So I get to do what I want. Um, but, oh, I forgot now. So it doesn't matter. Um, so I have learned to, oh, in a stressful situation, you'll see my D flare up a little bit more because I want to get results. I want to um, fix whatever's broken. But even in a stressful situation from my years being uh, in, in charge of teams that have had network outages and escalations and things, I've been able to practice and, and hone that down. Because in an emergency, the last thing you want is your leader to be in a panic because then everybody's in a panic. So oftentimes I'm usually the most, the calmest person in the room. Uh, and people do look to you as a leader, as the litmus test of what's going on. Oh, uh, yes. Doing that. But uh, if I can do this as a typical, I mean, stereotypical high D, if I can learn this, put it into practice, anybody can. I just want to state that this is not... Uh, like you're taking college physics again, or if you're, if you're that young and you're in college physics, it's not that hard. It's just being self-aware. Is it not, Jean? It is. That's exactly right. And once you can kind of get to know yourself a little bit better, it's a lot easier than to pay attention to other people. Exactly. All right. So I apologize officially. I've yammered on a lot and taken up a lot of your time and we're we're getting close. So what what I would like to ask you, if it's fair, in in closing, um, is there any common misperceptions within communications between, and, and again, all of these things can bleed over into your, in a positive way, I mean, because we all know that when we bring work home in a negative way, that bleeds over anyway. But you can bring these behavioral relationships. And I talked to Julie in the relationships podcast um, about her personal relationship with her husband, Clint, who's been on the show and he'll be on the show again uh, shortly. Um, this knowledge can have a positive impact in all of your relations. Oh, yeah. You mean DISC? Oh, yes. Yes. When I, um, I would say it happens if I'm, if I'm uh, working with a group of people, one person out of that group for sure, every time I've reviewed um, individual DISC results with, with people, say if a company hires me to work with a certain department or whatever, one person will absolutely say, oh my gosh, I'm going to take this home and, and show this to my spouse. This is going to help me so much to talk better, you know, talk more openly, or this is, this. you've just described my husband or my wife or my children. And, um, it, you know, all, everybody seems to recognize somebody in there, uh, but a lot of people feel like they can take it home and immediately start to implement the usefulness of it. Thank you for that uh, and, and helping me make that point. So is there anything that you'd like to leave us with when it comes to either a common misperception 
of what's going on, or I think we've covered them pretty well, or any tools that you want to leave people with, like any final thoughts, I suppose. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I, you know, when you are working with your, either your manager or coworker or uh, an employee who works for you, at any time, if you are trying to get something done, pull out a calendar and pick a date. And it's okay if you shoot for a date and miss the deadline for good reasons and everyone is aware that you're going to miss the deadline and you pick a new deadline. But for heaven's sake, pick a deadline. Pull out a calendar because that is truly the only way to get things done is to decide when it needs to be done by. I agree. And one thing, uh, and I've been quoting you a lot lately, so... I'm going to do it again. And I think one of the things that, um, yeah, I know you and I have talked about, and I'm sure that you, you, you coach on it is that tasks will always grow or shrink to the time allotted. Yes. Yes. And I, I think it's important to know that if you're, if you do pull out that calendar, that not only is it appropriate because you know, you want to set a deadline and set proper expectations, but also you can deliver that message in a way that isn't so uh, authoritative and snarky sounding. Well, actually, you know, now that we're saying this, so when you use um, DISC to explain to people about your own style, and when you, uh, when they then explain to you about their style, and you both are acknowledging what you bring to the table that takes the personal sting out of those conversations and a calendar actually does the same thing if you pull out a calendar and you just agree on when something is going to be done it takes the personal you know you're you're not micromanaging me you're not bullying me i'm you know i am not being a difficult employee you and i are both agreeing as adults on when something is due it's like it's when the library book is due, you know, it's, it's when your um, utility bills are due. It's, we're just simply agreeing on each of our individual obligations and, and acknowledging when they are required to be accomplished by. Yes, and it's amazing how often miscommunications happen how quickly they snowball and how things can get out of control over time. And it's all preventable. It is. And even if you feel like you're not a very good communicator, if you do nothing else except pull out a calendar and agree with people on dates, you will feel like you have become a much better communicator simply by doing that one small thing. And if we've learned anything today, that'll put you ahead of most of the people because they're, yes. they're just they're just hinting around at people wearing shoes like wow those are great dress shoes those are great <laughs> dress shoes wow you look awesome wow fantastic uh, and so meanwhile somebody's gonna be like okay we know Jean's got a dress shoe fetish no no Jean <laughs> took action in a nice polite way and then moved on yeah I did want to focus on that for a second and then we can wrap up and and I'll say thank you is that you didn't make a big deal out of it and you moved on to business. Like it was just business as usual. It was no big deal. You had the conversation, they acknowledged, you acknowledged, and then you were like, 
just got back to work. It was, it was, yeah. and I, I don't want to belittle the action because what that, your example was so perfect. But also I think part of that was there was no stigma. You were just like, you, you went back to the normal day to day. There wasn't a stigma. You didn't make it awkward. It just was. Well, I'm glad you're bringing that up because that let's, let's, uh, let's make sure we, we um, end with this idea for people. And that is the other part of the communication piece is that if you don't, what I call get right back to work, then each of you is going to be feeling awkward and feeling weird about the exchange that just took place. Your employee is going to go back to their desk and they're thinking to themselves, wow, he just yelled at me or she just yelled at me. And if you can then go right back to your employee and be normal, be right back at work again, you will show your employee that if this is a psychologically safe space, I did not just yell at you. I corrected something and it needed to be corrected, but now here I am acting normal again and I, you know, I'm treating you normally. So if if managers can then get right back to work, they will really um I think help to establish the that the communication was simply a communication. I think it's important to note that. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and I can only agree. Um, again, thank you for the life preserver. I felt it was important, and I just I I could do this for another hour. I could serve these meatballs right up over home plate for you to knock out of the park. <laughs> um, but in true David fashion, I've gone for an entire hour, and I could go for an hour more, but I'm not going to do that to people. But as always, Gene there seems like there's several other topics so you have a perma invite to come back and talk about anything you want no, whenever you. you want uh, i hope you had as much fun as i did it was very very stimulating conversation for sure and for that i am entirely thankful and grateful so with that i will say thank you and wait for you to contact me for the next topic okay i will do that thanks g goodbye okay. Bye.